You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, two weeks ago, I had the privilege to uh, share with you guys about uh, about grace and a little bit about good works. And, and sometimes there's a bit of a confusion um, in the Bible between the relationship between walking out in God's grace and good works and what it is that we do as Christians. And so, you know, something that Apostle Paul makes super clear in Romans is that grace is a free gift from God. But he also makes clear that human striving is insufficient to please God. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we, what's, you know, what really cool about this is, is, is that it's free. But what's interesting is the very next verse that accompanies this. You know, Paul writes, For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We receive the grace of God and our salvation through faith in Christ. And then we walk out our salvation by continuing in obedience to Christ. That is the connection. We don't do good works to earn salvation. We don't do good works just to try to look good before people, but we do it as a response to what God has done in our life. And we do it as as a response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, directing and leading us in our lives through his word and through his spirit. Luke 11, 28 says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You know, to obey Christ means to surrender to his will over your own. You know, it's an alignment of your life with the heartbeat of God. The Christian life is not simply asking God to come into your life to make you a little bit better than it is now. It's giving yourself to God and allowing him to do a work in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible talks a little of this process called surrender. You know, surrender is a word that is, is kind of unpopular in, in, in most areas of society. You know, it, it often has a negative light, a negative connotation, because it's associated with losing. And frankly, nobody wants to be a loser, unless you're um, the biggest loser. <laughs> then you don't mind being a loser, because it takes literally weight right off your back. But... Um, I'm sorry. I had to. I couldn't help myself. The point I want to make is that in our life, we all surrender our lives to something or someone. And if it's not God, then it's something or someone else. If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, by default, there's only one other alternative, and that's the kingdom of darkness that likes to masquerade as the kingdom of light. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible actually says that, that Satan can appear as 
in, in glory. Like he comes like an angel of light to deceive and to pull people from the purposes of God, to distract and redirect what God is trying to do through the church and through his people. But when we surrender our lives to Christ, God moves, God protects, God shields. You know, we eventually surrender our life to something or someone. You know, for you, maybe you've um, surrendered a lot of your life and your attention to pleasing others. Maybe it's making your boss feel good. Maybe it's to fear, to pride, to lust, to the pursuit of money and material wealth and possessions. Maybe it's the pursuit of a career. Or maybe it's sports. You know, one way that you can tell if something, if, if you have surrendered to something, is it slowly becomes a master over you. When God created man, he put us in the garden and he gave us dominion over the earth. He gave us dominion, which means we have authority in this world to, to do some amazing things. But when the world begins to take authority over us, and all of a sudden the things that we were supposed to be masters over are beginning to master us, we know that we've surrendered to something. You know, sometimes we, there's all sorts of different ways that we surrender to things. You know, sometimes it's, it's just through not showing up. Sometimes we surrender by maybe showing up somewhere where we shouldn't, doing things that we shouldn't, that we feel a, a harsh conviction in our spirit about, but we feel like we just can't get over it. It's like it somehow has controlled us. You know, that's what sin tries to do. It tries to separate between you, you and God. And one way to identify sin in your life is to identify guilt and shame. Because where sin is, guilt and shame follow. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's liberty. And when we walk in freedom and surrender to God, we will walk in freedom as we sung about this morning. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 a couple pieces from it. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, gratifying the cravings of your flesh and following its desires and its thoughts. But not anymore. For God's grace, you have been saved. Romans 12.1. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, the NIV puts it this way. It says, this is your true and proper worship. You know, true and proper worship is when we give ourselves completely to God. Christ didn't die on the cross so that we could simply have a, a spiritual software update. You know, when you receive Christ into your life, you're not just the former sinful life 2.0. You're not just a better behaving, feeling bad about sinning, continually striving and failing version of you that has a side of God. That's not what we got when we come to God and surrender our life. God has a plan to transform you 
into an entirely new person, beginning with your identity as a son and daughter of God. And when the gospel is presented to us, and we're convicted by the spirit of our sin, and we come to God asking for forgiveness, you know, we put our faith in Christ, which means we put our trust in him, that by doing so, we will be made right with God. What the Bible says that is, is justification. It's being made right with God by faith. And when we put our faith in Christ and we trust him with everything, he begins to do a mighty work in our life to sanctify us, to make us like himself. And this process means that we conform to his image. We become more like him in every way. Our heart motives, our thought lives, our behavior, and our capacity to love begins to grow and be shaped by God and the Holy Spirit moving in our life. You know, Isaiah describes the process of God taking a heart of stone and turning it into a heart of flesh. You know, Jesus called it being born again. This is a spiritual birth, one where your former life dies and you're resurrected in new life, in the life of Jesus. Your sins are washed away. Your guilt and shame has to leave and you can live a new life. You know, in the Greek, the word um, often used surrounding transformation and, and the inner working of God is the word metamorphosis, which is used to describe that transformation process. And it's like the transformation of, of a caterpillar to a butterfly. You know, it's, it's a very simple illustration that I'm sure all of you have heard once before. But reflecting on it, I was thinking back to when I was in grade three. And I don't know if you did this when you were in grade school, but our class got a bunch of caterpillars. We had this big net thing, and we got to feed the caterpillars. And we'd go out into the park, and we'd vandalize the trees, and we'd bring in leaves, and we'd feed these caterpillars. And over the course of, of the semester, these caterpillars would eat and eat and consume good, healthy leaves. And eventually, they would get fat enough that they could then start the transition of forming a cocoon. And in that secret place of the cocoon, outside, extra C there, I think, the cocoon, is that the secret place of the cocoon, God began to work. God transforms that, that butterfly, that caterpillar into a butterfly. And it's the real deal, because when those things come out, it's just, it's like a miracle. You know, but some of us are still the caterpillar and we're more like in a bug's life. I'm a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a caterpillar holding up fake wings, trying to fly, pretending like he's a butterfly. You know, inner transformation and spiritual growth can't be faked. Really, it can't. It's something that God can do. It's not something that we can force into our life through behavior modification. It's not like we can get a list of do's and don'ts and try to conform our life to it to show how spiritually reformed we are. Spiritual transformation and renewal is something that God does in you by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not through human striving. It's through God and his Holy Spirit working and sh shaping you to the extent that you submit to God and surrender your life to him. That secret place that God does that work is in our heart, is in our inner life, and it too is unseen. 
People on the outside often don't see it, but they begin to see the fruit of it. They begin to see the fruit of it, and you begin to see the fruit of it as well. You know, the Spirit of the living God abides inside of you if you've chosen to receive him. You know, he calls us to be a people who live and walk by his Holy Spirit. You know, and Paul describes the reality of a life fully sacrificed and surrendered to God when he said these words, no longer I, but Christ in me. No longer I, but Christ in me. Jesus came to give us new life, not just a refurbished old one. A life where our primary purpose is no longer to fulfill our own sinful thoughts and desires, the pursuit of our own selfish ambition, but serving God and his will. And God doesn't just want part of you. He didn't die for just a Sunday service so you could partake one day a week. God wants to fellowship with you every day. He wants to know you personally. He wants you to know him. You'll notice here in Romans 12.1 that it does not say that God will compel you to serve him as a living sacrifice, but rather that you need to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. You see, it's something that we have to do, something we have to choose to do every day. It's the process of daily picking up our cross and following him, and it's a daily decision, not even daily. It's something that we have to do all the time. You know, I remember hearing as a kid about the, the space shuttles when they go into space and when they're sending the men to the, to the moon and how constantly there's these mathematical logarithms that are constantly being calculated to keep that rocket on course, to keep it going where it's supposed to go because even a minor, minor, a minor deviation can cause that thing to be way off course. Well, spiritually, when we don't have those little recorrects every day and we try to live our life without God, without his presence, without his spirit guiding us, every decision that we make, it's like a little bit of a deviation when we're out of God's will. And by the end of a day, the end of a week, the end of a month, the end of a year, the outcome can be completely disastrous. And you might find yourself in a place that, that, God never wanted for you, and you never thought you would ever be. It's a continual surrender to God each and every day, every moment of our lives. That's the type of sacrifice that God wants. A people who will be his people, who do his will, who love him, who love him with all their heart, mind, and soul. The Bible refers to the, to the act of surrender to God in different ways. It uses different terminology. You may have heard the term giving your life to Christ or maybe receiving Jesus as your Savior, inviting him into your heart, making Jesus Lord of your life, taking up your cross, dying to self. They're all different ways of saying that we have surrendered our life to Christ. You know, one of the biggest hurdles that prevents us from doing so is pride. Right from the very beginning, when sin entered the world, pride began to derail men and women from fully surrendering to their Heavenly Father. 
It was a scheme of the enemy that led us to believe that we could be our own God. We could be like God, make all our own decisions, do what we want to do, and that we could do it better than God. You know, if we are going to be fruitful Christians, people who bear fruit, who have a mark for the kingdom of God, who radically transform the lives of people through the Holy Spirit working through us, then it can't be that way. We must lay aside our pride, give it to God, and instead walk in humility. A.W. Tozer once said that the reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, and still making little forward progress is because they haven't come to the end of themselves, that we are interfering with God's work in us. I know I was thinking about this this week, about self-sabotage. There's a couple in this church that have challenged my wife and I to a weight loss challenge. And we've been kind of like jokingly kind of, you know, not sabotaging each other. But we and I were just talking about this, about how we don't need anybody else to sabotage us. Because we can do it all on our own. I don't know if you feel that way in your life. You're like, I don't even need if I need a, if I even need a sabotager. My, like, I go off the rails every day. I don't need anyone else's help. Like, sometimes I wonder if the devil's even there because I know how to do it all on my own. It's just like, <laughs> cookies after service. Yeah. On me. But anyhow, you know, are we interfering with God's work in us by failing to surrender certain areas of our life? Are we giving God certain spheres of our life and keeping others for ourselves? Are we like the couple that sold their land and went to the disciples, the apostles, and said, here's all of our money. Everything we own, we sold our land and we're giving it all to the church. Meanwhile, we're holding something back for ourselves. You know, in that moment, God struck them dead. Praise God he doesn't do that for me every day. I would have lasted my first day in the pulpit. To surrender to God means you trust God. To be a person of faith means you put your trust in God. We put our trust in things every single day, and we need to put our trust in God. Are you willing to stop holding on to areas of your life that you've been holding on to so tightly? Will you allow Jesus to come and carry your regrets, your ambitions, your weaknesses, your hurts, your pain, and allow him to direct your future? Or have you already got it planned out? Will you walk down the path of discipleship where he will teach you what it means to live a life fully devoted to him? A life so filled with purpose, so filled with joy that you'll never want to turn back. You know, God is looking to do miraculous things through lives that are surrendered to him. You know, we just got through the Christmas season where many of us would have read or, or heard the Christmas story. You know, when I think about a surrendered life, 
a name that comes to mind is Mary. Now, if you remember the story about Mary, that, oh, that she was a virgin. She was um, engaged to Joseph. And then an angel of the Lord comes to her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will cover you. And the holy child that you will give birth to will be called the Son of God. An angel comes and says, you're going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And you're going to call him Jesus. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to be birthed through you. And her response was, oh, Lord, how am I going to explain this one to mom and dad? Or what am I going to say to Joseph? That was not what she said. Her response was, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Can you imagine the level of spiritual maturity for that to be your first response to that just earth-shattering news? But also amazing news at the same time. But I'm thinking about it from the perspective of a young girl who's not married in that time period. It would, it would have been a scary moment, I'm sure, for many, but she had faith in God that God would see it through. Let it be done to me according to your word. That is a life surrender to God. She was not chosen for her status, her wealth, her good looks, what she could do to earn the, the approval of people but she was willing to give everything of herself to the Lord. And that's what pleased God. E. Stanley Jones said, if you don't surrender to Christ, then you surrender to chaos. You have some chaos in your life right now? You know, one of my favorite childhood movies is the Karate Kid. I don't know how many of you have seen the Karate Kid. They came out with a new one with uh, Will Smith's son. I can't remember his name. Jaden, Jackie Chan is the, the master. But I love Jackie Chan, but he's no Mr. Miyagi. He's no Mr. Miyagi. But it's one of my favorite stories, and it's the story of a young teen boy named Daniel Russo. Russo? Russo? Rousseau. That's how you say it, Russo. You know, he's, he's just moved to a new town. He's being bullied by the guys at school. They're literally physically beating him up. And at one moment, Mr. Miyagi, who has kind of formed a little bit of a relationship, comes and saves him and beats the guys up and sends them on their way and teaches them a lesson. And Daniel convinces Mr. Miyagi, this Japanese martial arts expert, to teach him how to protect himself. But Mr. Miyagi does not take him on as a pupil because to teach him how to kick the butts of these guys at school. That's what Daniel's looking for. But what Mr. Miyagi does is he teaches him patience, self-control, and discipline. You'll see in these pictures, if you've seen it, you remember that there's the famous scene where he hands him the brush and he says, wax on, wax off. And he gets him doing all these yard chores. He gets him sanding his deck, sanding his fence, um, washing all the cars, buffing and waxing all the cars. And eventually he starts to get really frustrated. He's like, do you know what? This guy's taking advantage of me. I came here for him to teach me martial arts and he's getting me to do his chores. Unpaid, by the way. 
And so he goes and confronts Mr. Miyagi about all these useless things he's been showing him and teaching him. And then all of a sudden he gets on guard and they go and all of a sudden he realizes, Mr. Miyagi shows him that all these movements he's been learning from doing chores, from preparing the decks and the woods, have prepared him. Those, those are the foundational skills that he would need to master this, the things that he was learning about. And, you know, sometimes I think we want the big things of God. But we haven't learned the basic fundamentals yet. And we wonder, why isn't God moving in this area or this area? Why isn't God doing this and that? I think God wants to show us how to thrive using the fundamentals so that we can play in the big leagues of the spiritual world and do it with competence and do it with obedience to Christ so that we're not doing things that create more harm than good. Because there can be excesses in everything, can't there be? You know, one of my favorite scenes, too, is when he, Mr. Miyagi has a set of chopsticks, and they're sitting at the table and drinking tea, and the fly comes in, and he takes his sticks, and he's trying to catch the fly in midair. Imagine the patience that took to literally catch a fly. You know, sometimes when God is moving and developing and growing you in your life, sometimes the process is not instantaneous. Usually it's not. It's usually a process. And I think patience is something, just as Mr. Miyagi used patience to um, help develop Daniel, God uses patience to develop us. God has a time and an order in which he wants to do things. And um, that's what we want to get in line with. You know, the process sometimes of spiritual growth can be slow. Sometimes it can be quick. But it shapes our character and it shapes our commitment. You know, sometimes spiritual disciplines of prayer, meditation, studying the Bible can seem like they're not getting you anywhere. Maybe you've been doing it for a while, you don't see any sizable effect like you thought you would. But they are the means of grace by which we're trained up for righteousness to be able to fulfill the call of God on our life. You know, I shared two weeks ago about how, how the spiritual disciplines themselves are not the things that make us grow, but they help us to position us to be communing with God so that God can do that work in our life through the Holy Spirit. And it works hand in hand. When you read the Word of God, as God speaking to you. That changes you. It changes you. It transforms you. It renews your mind. It gives you a new default setting for life the more, the more that you consume his word. You know, some in this room might be experiencing barriers that are preventing you from fully surrendering to God. You know, you might be feeling really beat up in life, that your circumstances you know, have really been getting you down. You know, maybe there's things that are outside of your control that are real burdensome. Or maybe you're dealing with consequences of your own actions and your own decisions. All of them can be equally difficult. You know, some have asked Christ to come into your life, but you've never really fully surrendered your entire life to him. You've given him Sunday mornings. You've maybe given him a little time slot in the midweek, but you've never really included God in, in your entire day. You've never woken up, and the first thought is, God, how's it going today? Thank you for today. Lord, what is your will? What do you have for me today? And gone to bed, and him being the last thought in your mind.
God, thank you for today. You are so faithful. I love you. I'm looking forward to tomorrow because today was so great. You know, we receive Christ, and then the Bible calls you a disciple. A disciple is a follower of Jesus. And how well are you at following him today? You know, discipleship is a process of learning to follow Christ and becoming more like him. It's acknowledging that Christ is our master and we are his students. And continually, we are coming to him for instruction, for guidance. But there is a process that he desires to take you through to develop and transform you into his likeness. Are you willing to give yourself over to that process? Are you willing to yield your life to the Holy Spirit? In Proverbs 25, 28, says, A man without self-control is like a city with broken walls. It means it's vulnerable for attack from an enemy. Back in those days, the way that you protected your city was by having high walls. So when invaders would come, you could fend them off. And they couldn't get into your city. You know, but today, a Christian who fails to surrender their life fully to God is like a city without walls. They're vulnerable to attack from the enemy. You know, all those who lack self-control will also lack other fruits of the Spirit in his life. If he's attempting to live a Christian life in his own strength and not by the empowerment of the Spirit. You know, the word disciple comes from the same root word as discipline. We are called to be disciplined students of Christ. I think we all know the difference between the disciplined student and the undisciplined student. Some of you in this room when you were in school were extremely disciplined students. And some not so much. So disciple and discipline come from the same root word. And when we are disciplined students of God's word and disciplined students of Christ, God begins to grow us to be strong in love, to be rich in faith, to be built up and encouraged by the hope that we have in Christ, that the hope that we have in the next life, that this is not all there is, that God is moving and one day we will all be resurrected from the dead, those who are in Christ. If we surrender our life to God, we'll never want to look back. But today, if your faith is feeling weak, if God feels distant, you may never ex fully experience the joy of walking in relationship with God if you don't walk in obedience to God they're very linked. You know, this morning, I'm just going to ask Caleb to come up, and he's going to play, play a song. And while he's playing, I'm just going to invite you to come up. If, if, if Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning, and, and you're sensing, you know what, I've, there's areas of my life that God is calling me to give up to him, to surrender to him. I just want to give you an opportunity to come up to the altar this morning and to seek him and to offer yourself up as a sacrifice to him, your whole being, whatever area of your life that you're holding back from him, that we would be a people that would surrender all to God because he gave all to us. He didn't hold anything back. 
when he sent his son on the cross. You know, when as a kid, you know, my we used to joke with my dad, you know, a lot of you maybe do this with your kids where, you know, do I, how much, you know, does somebody, you know, how much do I love you? This much, this much, this much. This much. You know, God loved us this much. As much as you can get. That he would send his son to come and die for us so that we could have eternal life and spend eternity with him, that we would know life abundantly. So as, as he sings, I just want to encourage you to, to seek God. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.